Welcome to the Wild Arrow Outdoors podcast. Our goal is to help educate people on all aspects of archery while at the same time, learn some new information from some of our outstanding guests. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Wild Arrow Outdoors podcast. This is going to be episode five. We have a great guest with us today. And before we get there, I'd like to introduce myself. I am Steve and my other host with me is Joe. Good morning, Joe. Morning, Steve. So we've been talking about this one for a while, too, um, as as hunters, archers, um, whatever the situation may be, just outdoors in general, walking, hiking, mountain climbing, anything you're doing. Uh, the subject of injuries always comes up and in the archery world a lot of how do you prevent a, a, a an injury and then uh, our guest with us we have now I'll go ahead and bring him in as uh, Dr. Anthony Pappas um, so doctor we're going to we'll let you talk about this so Dr. Pappas is a bow hunter he is an archery shooter um, he has gone on elk hunts in the mountains he understands that side of it as well and uh so he, he's a chiropractor uh i've actually been going to him for 20 plus years that, that we have known each other and so we're gonna let him talk some about injuries about um what happens to or how do you help prevent injuries and then what happens when you actually get an injury so we'll just see where this conversation goes so dr pappas welcome thank you for having me guys yeah i'm really excited about this uh I've, uh, I've got, I've got lots of questions. Um, I, I actually, Steve, I think a uh, part of me feels like, you know, right now we're just doing our audio drops for the podcast, but man, I could see a part two of this down the road. When we yes. Have video I thought the same because, thing earlier today too. I was thinking about that also showing, demonstrating different stretches and exercises. I think that'd be awesome. But, uh, yeah, Dr. Pappas, I thank you for, for being with us today. I'm, I'm, I'm excited about getting into the meat and potatoes of this one. Same here. So where do you want to start at? Well, I don't, we can start with more preventative type questions and right. go over different ideas. You know, and So we, we, we will let you kind of lead the way on this, and we're going to throw in questions at you as, as they come up. But uh, if you just want to start off with when you understand proper shooting form, and we're not going to get into the, like, I don't want to say proper shooting form as in like, oh, make sure this finger is there and this is there. We're, we're talking proper shooting form of like, do, make sure we're doing things that are not going to cause an injury. Correct. Um, yeah. We're not you worried know, about so much of like where the arrow lands on this discussion, but how do we do things safely? The, the way I look at it is uh, having a strong foundation. You know, we don't really work out one particular muscle. We want to work out in exercise and strengthen the whole foundation, the whole body. And if we can do that, then that's when we're looking at everything functioning properly and we get better results, you know, with better posture, better strength, better core, then you're going to be able to perform at different, you know, points of stress in your life, different points of stress, whether you're <clears throat> going up and down a mountain or you're sitting in a competition and it's, you know, pretty intense. So if we could have that core type strength, then that's a, a aspect of it that you don't have to consider. It's just there when you need it. So when you start talking core strength, let's dig into that a little bit deeper too. Let's what what do you mean exactly when you say core strength? 
Are you talking like just the muscles in your body you're using to actually draw a bow back and shoot it? Or is there, does it go deeper than that? Oh, it goes way deeper. Uh, you know, for instance, if I pick up a bow, I'm going to have to have some kind of stability throughout not only my upper back shoulders, my low back, my glutes, you know, how am I standing on the ground? All that is factors in it. You can get pretty detailed, but we find if you just keep it simple, you're going to be a lot more effective. Um, use an example. I like to use an example of a, a, most people have had kids. If you pick up a newborn baby, the seven pound newborn, newborn baby, and you hold that baby chest to chest with you, it's putting around 70 pounds of pull on the ligaments in the spine. Now with that same seven pound baby, if you reach out to put it into a car seat or into the crib and you have that leverage from your shoulders, now your center of gravity is further away, it can pull up to around 700 pounds of pull on the ligaments of the spine. So the body's designed to handle this if it is functioning properly and you have good core strength. So what happens is in a lot of our lives, <clears throat> bow hunting and uh, other activities that we do are our outside activities, our daily jobs might be more sedentary sitting, stuff like that. And this is where we lose that core stability. Then we try to go and do these hobbies and our body's like, you know, hey, I can't handle this. And we start to get injuries. So if we can start strengthening and preventing stuff, working out and getting this core strong, then we can go do these activities and have the longevity without the injuries. That's a very good analogy. Never thought about it that way. Yeah. So my, my idea is always just to have that good work and work out, you know, it doesn't mean you have to work out an hour and a half every day. You know, there's, you know, somebody works out three times a week is going to have enough sufficient exercise. You know, they can do a good program to get that core strength there. Uh, I like looking at functional exercises, you know, not just isolate a muscle, but let's look at uh, exercises that, create like how we move in our daily lives, you know, squats, deadlifts, lunges, you know, these kind of exercises. And then we need to look at uh, isometric exercises, like uh, holding planks, you know, doing push-ups, you know, doing some calisthenics and you can get a well-rounded workout regimen that when you're done, your body's going to be a lot stronger and you may not look like you're beefing up, but you're going to have that strength and stability there. So I, I, that's a, that's a spot that I want mm -hmm. to touch on because, um, you know, uh, I think of, uh, like kettlebell routines and things like that, uh, medicine ball. Um, but, but talk a little bit about, you know, weight and reps, right. You know, heavy weights, low reps versus, you know, lightweight, high rep, um, I mean, it sounds like what you're describing here is f a focus more again on that functional strength. So we're talking low weights, high reps. Yeah. If the, both of them are good and you should cycle back and forth with those, if we go heavier weights and low reps, we're building strength. Okay. So let's look at, uh, making that muscle denser, denser, making it stronger. Okay. When we go the high reps and we go to fatigue, we're, we're hypertrophying, we're building, making a larger muscle. Okay. So <clears throat> a lot of people will, if you want to get really strong and really big, you're going to do some good, you know, uh, 
low rep power lifting exercises and you're going to get strong. You're going to do this for a few months, maybe three to six months. And then you can bump up and do the high rep and you're going to grow that muscle. Well, now you have that power to grow it even better. So you now you have that, you know, you're doing to fatigue and get growth out of it. You build that growth for a while, then you can go back to densifying it and doing strength training. So you can go back and forth with this and you can get pretty obsessed with it, you know, and, uh, but you can, you're building it and making it stronger at the same time. You know, it's one of those things where if you could look at a power lifter and a bodybuilder, they're different. You know, a power lifter looks at a bodybuilder and they say, oh, they're just all for show where the power lifter says I can move mass. You know, so it's, they're different, but they both have a benefit to it. You know, so it's one of those where I like the strength training, uh, to get the muscles dense, you know, but you also have to be careful, you know, about 50 years old, I'm not going to go squatting and deadlifting 400 pounds, you know, the risk reward would not be a great idea. Uh, you know, depending on your age, what you do for a living and stuff like that. And I also think about, you know, uh, the range of motion aspect of it as well. Right. So, you know, as you, as you go with that heavier weight, lower rep, uh, there's there, it seems like there can be range of motion implications to that. Yeah. Yes. If you, when you're, when you're building these muscles, you know, they're putting more tension on a joint you know, that joint is that fulcrum and that muscle moves that, moves that fulcrum. And that's where we get that mobility there. Uh, muscle lengthening you can do like through yoga, through, uh, I love foam rolling. I think everybody should own a foam roller. Uh, that is a great device tool to have that should be done regularly. Uh, I had my youngest played football in high school and we had him with a trainer guy here in St. Louis that was, he was an elderly man, but he was pretty high up in the training world. And everybody, when, every time they had a workout, you started with a foam roller and you ended with a foam roller and you were not allowed to leave until, you know, you couldn't start and you couldn't leave until you were, did your, your regimen on that foam roller. And it's just so important to uh, break up the muscle fibers, lengthen the muscle, and then you get a better contraction and you get better strength and prevent injury. Uh, my son bought me a foam roller a couple of years ago as a birthday gift. And I, and I still tell him, I said, I was like, that's, that's, I didn't know what I was missing until yeah. I had, and, and now I'm, I, I wouldn't ever want to be without one. I have, I actually took one and cut it down. So I have like a mini that yes. I'll take traveling yeah. sometimes. So like I get up in the morning at a hotel room and I can still do the roll. It's amazing. The difference that made. It, it's great for the prevention, but it's also great for treatment. Uh, we're talking about elk hunting. Uh, we were, I was with a friend of mine that I do most of my hunting with and he has bad knees. And uh, we, after hiking, you know, we were probably on our third day, every day we're doing about five miles in the mountains. His knees were shot. Like the next morning he woke up, he goes, I can't, I can't get up there. I'm just going to stay in. And I'm like, no, no, you're not <laughs> like, you know, we're going to figure this out. And uh, we were having him, you know, using a frozen water bottle on the side of the mountain 
just to help, you know, roll that out and break up the adhesion so he could keep going and take some stress off his knees. So you can use it as a, you know, acute treatment, you know, stuff like that to get you through the day, but you're going to get the real benefit of foam rolling on, you know, doing it on a regular basis. So I learned something a few weeks ago from Dr. Pappas. <clears throat> so I've been in his office quite a bit recently uh, since I was involved in a car accident. What's it been three and a half, four months ago, whatever it's been. I've been having a lot of issues with my shoulder trap area. And he told me to roll out. Uh, you're going to have to explain this, Doc, because I, I don't understand it still other than I know everything is connected in the body. But he had me rolling out in the rib cage, the side lat area. I don't, I don't know what you even want to call it here. Yeah. But... I'm like, well, that's not where the problem is. And he's like, just roll it out. Trust me. So I got, I got a foam roller at home. I get laid on that foam roller and it was like, you could have been stabbing a knife in me. It wouldn't have hurt any worse. I didn't know it was hurting there, Yeah. but he was explaining to me how, well, this attaches to that, which attaches to this, which is in the shoulder. And like, so, I mean, use, use that as an example of just how the total body treatment, you might be fixing something somewhere else you're not even aware of. If well, that question doesn't make any sense the way I worded that, but yeah, no, it makes collateral sense. damage. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You know, if we look, let's look at the, uh, let's look at my right shoulder complex. If I'm drawing, I'm a right-handed shooter and I'm going to draw back, you know, what muscles am I using? Well, you're using all the muscles in your upper body, right? Some are more dominant, some are, you know, more infinite, you know, precise movement, but some are just the mass movers and they're the big muscles. Uh, if I look at my shoulder blade, which sits on the back of my rib cage, this has some major muscles that help stabilize it and pull it and move it. You know, your traps, people think of their traps, you know, oh, that guy's got big traps on his neck. Well, those raise up those shoulder blades, but you also have mid and lower traps. And then you have somebody like your lats. You talk about people, your lats, if I'm doing pull-ups, you know, uh, those are the lat muscles on the side that sort of pull that, those shoulder blades down and raise your body up. So when the, we're using all these muscles when we're doing shooting bows, but when we're just pulling and pushing movements. So uh, when we have areas of that shoulder complex that aren't working right, we want to address all the muscles that attach to the shoulder blade. And the ones people don't think about are the ones that aren't obvious. Your lats and your, in your armpit, you, could tack, you can uh, get to the inside of the uh, shoulder blade, which is called the subscapularis muscle. And that's a, also a big stabilizer and strength and pulling muscle. Uh, so that's a way, like when I told you to lay on your armpit on a foam roller, you know, people are like, well, my armpit, they, they don't think of it as a muscle, but it's all muscles that make up the armpit. So it's targeting different areas. And now when we roll that, those muscles up, we loosen them up. We break up the adhesions in them. People call them like sometimes trigger points or knots. You know, if you get one of those Theraguns and you're working on a knot, those knots may always be there uh, due to scar tissue, but you can break them up. You can get the inflammation out of there and you lengthen the muscle fibers. And now the, those muscles stabilize and move the shoulder blade better biomechanics. And now you have less problems with it, if that makes sense. Makes sense. So on, on a typical, let's just talk archery here for a second then, and you, you touched on it there, but just a, a normal archery shot, just nice, relaxed, we're just going to be out shooting a target, not a stressful situation. But can you kind of go through what muscles actually get used to just draw a bow back and hold it? 
you're going to be, uh, you know, pretty much dominant with your, with your pulling muscles of your back. You're, if I look at my, my uh, scapula, my shoulder blade or my, for a right-handed shooter, you know, you're going to have your traps, mid, upper, lower traps. You're going to have what we call the rhomboid muscle which attaches the scapula to the spine. You're going to have your lats, your subscapularis. Those are those muscles that are the initial big muscles that pull. Then you can get into the muscles of the arm, you know, bicep, tricep, brachialis. And these are the finer, smaller movements that get you in position. You know, that so those muscles are going to be also involved with it too. Now, then we look at the left side of the body. I got my pulling muscles, you know, my shoulder, my delt, my pec muscles that are holding that bow up. So I need those to be strong and stable too, because I don't want to just all strong pulling muscle. I got to have the strength to hold that bow up and hold it up without, you know, less fatigue. It's going to get fatigued no matter what, you know, you can't hold it up for too long. Those muscles aren't designed for that, you know, that, that uh, persistent contraction you know, it has to have some rest in between. So, you know, if you can strengthen those left shoulder, the delt and the shoulder muscles, then you can stabilize it and you can just focus on the shot and not, you know, the muscle fatigue. You know, I like to look at it as uh, looking at the uh, task, not the technique. It's one thing I like to look at. So what's my task, you know, and if, if you, that's where the practice and the drills and you know, the skill drills come in, you know, you don't worry about, oh, is my elbow here? Is my this, that? What's my task? What, you know, and if you look, focus on the task, then the technique usually will take care of itself. So I'm interested in uh, talking a little bit about, you know, you, you referred to some of the, you know, the mountain hunts and hunts and, you know, that's something that I, I kind of, that's, that's the majority of my hunting now is, is backcountry. Um, where I'm, you know, spiking camp somewhere and, and hunting an area for several days. And, you know, you're putting a lot of miles on and, uh, they're, you know, it's, it's physically, it's, it's the type of hunts that you, you don't want to show up for out of shape. You want to have some level of fitness because it's going to be a grind. And I, so I, I tend to train year round, um, to try to be ready when hunting season rolls around. And I have, a routine that I've kind of adapted over the years that seems to work pretty well for me, but I always get, um, <laughs> I always get, uh, that, that reminder. So, uh, you know, we went in, I went into elk camp this year and feeling pretty good. You know, I, I put in a lot of work over the summer and I tend to, uh, I live in North Dakota. So, uh, running outdoors, I mean, there's, there's some, there's some folks that do it pretty much year round here, but I, I personally, when it's 20 below, <laughs> I'm not doing it. It's not going to happen. So I adapt and do different things indoors. Uh, I like to do weighted backpack climbs on yes. a treadmill or a stair climber. I mean, that, that'll, that'll kick your butt just as, just as well. And, but, uh, I tread, I tend to over the winter months, uh, I'll focus more on my strength training during the winter months. And then as the spring comes in, as temperatures outdoors get a little better and it gets a little nicer, I'll, I'll start doing more running. Um, I still do, I still do cardio in the winter. It's just a little different. Um, but, uh, I would like to hear you talk a little bit about 
what you do like what's your what's your routine and how do you prepare as you're coming up for uh, a more rigorous hunt okay yeah first off i'm extremely jealous that you get to go hunt those mountains every year because that's uh that's would be my dream to be able to do that every year because i've done it twice now and uh first time you know i did all the reading on what's the best way to prep for this. And I did what you did. I did a ton of strength training beforehand. I was doing cardio, hiking, backpacking. Uh, I was a little bit cautious with my running just because getting a little bit older, my knees, I, I don't want to put too much stress and strain on them. So I did a lot of the weighted backpacking for the cardio, uh, trying to find as many, you know, hills that I could do and stuff like that. But I liked the strength training, uh, that I think was crucial. Uh, I, I don't think you could ever do enough <laughs> after being up there, you realize, you know, you, you can train, but you're never going to train enough to say, Oh, that was easy, but that's not why we do it. Right. So, but I think that, I, I, you know, I was big on, uh, stair stepping with weights, uh, big on squats, uh, shoulder presses, uh, bench press. I have a shoulder issue, so I do dumbbells. I don't do barbell. Uh, I don't like dumbbells even for healthy shoulders. Uh, I, I like uh, doing dumbbells. It's barbell locks the shoulders in a position that can be, you know, dangerous. So especially if you're going real heavy, so no need to go with that heavy. Uh, but uh, the squats, I would do them squats. Some days I'd do the heavy squats. Some days I'd do, you know, 10 sets of 10, you know, and make sure I'm fatiguing every time. So I, I think that is one of the biggest things because then your body is going to be able to handle the load you're putting on it. Your lungs are probably going to get fatigued before your muscles do, you know. Right. And so when those mus lungs get fatigued, you could take a break, get the lungs back, but your legs will always be there. You know, so I, I was very big on the, the doing a lot of the weights in uh, strength training for that kind of hunt. Uh, my friend that I went with, he has bad knees. He didn't do any strength training. He did a lot of walking and stuff like that. Uh, and it showed he couldn't keep yeah. up. He couldn't keep up. So I think the, uh, you know, getting your weight under control, you don't have to be, you know, ripped or anything like that. But you look, if you got to lose 40 or 50 pounds, lose it, you know, and then do the strength training. And, uh, it's just, that was, I think a crucial part of it. Yeah. I, uh, to your point, you know, I, I, I went into camp feeling pretty good about the training I had done leading up to that. <laughs> and, and the first, and the first climb that we did on the first, well, I guess it was this technically the second day we were in camp, you know, there was this one particular area and, and we probably had to ascend. I, I, I'd say it was probably somewhere between 800 and a thousand feet. So it wasn't, you know, right. it wasn't, but we got to the top and I mean, I was drenched. Oh yeah. Yeah. I was, I was, I was drenched and I'm like, this is day one. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, uh, you know, and it's, it was just, for me, it was just a reminder. Uh, I need to work harder. Yeah. Uh, I, I need to do better. So, so one of the things that I took away, the learning that I took from that is um, exactly to what you just talked about. I'm between this, between now and the upcoming season, I've got a whole new prioritization on my leg strength. 
Yes. My upper body was, my upper body was fine. I didn't, I, I never had any issues. I mean, I, I did harvest a pretty nice bull this year. Um, drawing the bow, doing that was not a problem, but, but even with all the miles and I was running, I was averaging about 35 miles a week running and, you know, felt like my cardio was solid going in there. Um, and, and I guess I would say in retrospect, my, my cardio was okay, but, uh, my legs were gassed yeah. in a way that I was not expecting. Right. Um, and so I'm, that's, I'm definitely a, a renewed focus on that particular aspect of my training. And that's when we talked earlier about core too, you know, you, you start doing this heavier weightlifting, you better have a decent core, you know, because you're putting a higher demand on that core when you start lifting those weights. So, you know, that's one of those things that, uh, it's, it's, it's there. I think the other, the part that I just couldn't get through is, uh, being a flatlander here in Missouri, you know, we, I think we were, our camp was around 6,000 feet and we were hiking up every day to about eight to 9,000 feet. I think 95 was the highest we got, but we got up there every day. Uh, the altitude sickness. Yeah. I, I suffer that the whole week I'm there each time it's, uh, it doesn't go away. And that's the, the issue that I'm trying to, you know, trying to get my body as proficient as possible and as strong as possible. So that way, when that sets in, cause I know I'm going to have it, uh, I'm a little bit more physically apt to handle it, but it's still sure. pretty brutal. Yeah. And, you know, I suffer that same thing a little bit, um, maybe not quite as much, uh, but I mean, out, you know, North Dakota is pretty, pretty flat land here too. Uh, so yeah, hundred percent. I dealt with the same element when you start getting up into that altitude, there's, you know, there's, it takes, it takes a while to acclimatize for sure. And I don't know about you, but I mean, I was in camp for about a week and a half and it's certainly you, I, I could notice the difference by, you know, towards the end of the hunt, I noticed that it wasn't impacting me as much as it was in the first couple of days. So I could feel my body shifting a, a little bit, but um, yeah, it's, if you haven't experienced that, it's, it's something where, you know, you take, you take 20 or 30 steps and you feel like you have to stop and you're just sucking wind because yeah. your body's just trying to get that yeah. catch up with the oxygen. Um, and that's where I try to push my cardio a little bit, you know, to, to your point is yeah. to give, give you at least a, a foundation to recover. That's right. You know, I, the way I looked at it, I was going we are unfortunately i could only be there for our hunts were like five or six days and they were never heading back home so i never got used to it it seemed like it was always back but my legs never gave out you know we uh the, your lungs would stop but your legs weren't burning so that's right. you, you know that's I, something yeah I, you know so at least i have a win there right i don't have them both quitting on me just my lungs so my legs were always there under me but i accredited that to just doing a ton of squats and I wasn't going super heavy, but I was just, I was going, wasn't going light, you know, I was doing a decent amount of mm -hmm. weight and a lot of it and lunges. And, you know, I just really focused on that lower body, you know, and when you're doing those large muscle workouts, like squats and deadlifts, uh, your body is, uh, for us men, it's, you're going to create more testosterone. Okay. So all your muscles in your body are going to benefit from this. So your upper back muscles, your shoulders and all that stuff, they're going to get stronger just because your body's producing more testosterone. 
from these large muscles that you're building, you're injuring them and building them and make them stronger. So it benefits all the muscles of the body, even though I was, we're focusing just on the lower part. So here's a question. Um, and again, this is just for my own training purposes. So I don't, or haven't historically done a lot of squatting and deadlifting. I do, uh, I, I don't know if this is the right term for the machine, but I use a hip sled where, yeah. you know, it's where you're sitting, you're sitting kind of in almost a, a yep. on the floor in a chair. Right. And then you're pushing. You yeah. Know, that's a squat. Like you're, yeah. You're, you're squatting. It, it's, it, I like it because it's got the control handles yeah. on the side. So if I gas out, I can, <laughs> I can, you know, prevent it. So I do those. And then I do, uh, I use the machines, uh, that isolate the, um, uh, extension and curls. And I guess my question for you is, is, is that better or worse? I don't know if that's the right way to frame the question, but, um, it, uh, would you recommend I spend more time doing a, uh, you know, a barbell squat, a weighted barbell squat versus extension, isolated extensions and curls? Uh, the the leg press is great. I, I like that leg press because your feet are on the surface and you're pressing the weight. So it's, it's very similar to a squat. Uh, you know, if you can't do squats or you don't want to do squats, find something that's, you know, comparable. It doesn't have to be a free bar squat. You know, it, it can be anything like that or lunges. You're going to get the exercises. Uh, deadlifts, I sort of actually steer people away from them more these days just because the risk reward you know, it's a great exercise. I mean, it is great exercise, but it's a very risky exercise to injure your back. So a lot of times that now that knee extension one you're talking about where you sit down and you, you know, you extend your legs out. Uh, I was talking to a friend of mine who's, he's a physical therapist and he owns his own practice also. And we a lot of times get together and shoot the breeze and talk about stuff. And we were talking about that. And this was a few years ago. Not a fan of it, he said, because when you extend, your feet are floating in the air. And where else in life do we really do that? It's not a functional exercise. Okay. So what we want to do, you know, is do the exercises where your feet are planted. That's a functional exercise. So you may build a muscle up doing it, of course, but it's going to be, you know, when your foot's on the ground, it's locked in. So you're, you're building that muscle in a different way. So not saying it's not, it's that it's bad for you. Just saying that, uh, when I was talking to him out at there talking about how he's not really a fan of it because of that. So you could be, you know, building a muscle differently than the way you would use it when you're walking and jumping and stuff like that. If that makes sense. That's interesting. It does. <laughs> it makes total sense. And the other thing that that made me think of as you were talking about it was, and this is something that I, always find interesting with my training, whether it's running or, or, or whatever, when we're on a treadmill or on a stair climber or any of those things, you're always, you know, you're in a lighter shoe that's more cushioned and you're always, and you're always stepping on a level surface. And of course, when you get out in the badlands or you get out in the mountains, there's not a level step anywhere. No. And so I think about, cause what I'm, as I'm, as I'm trying to develop my, my lower body strength and my legs specifically, I think about those stabilizer muscles, thinking about your friend who has a bad knee, right? I'm very blessed right now. I'm 53 years old. 
and my knees are pretty good. I'm in good shape there, but I want to, I'm mindful of that. And I want to preserve that because I know that can be a game ender. Oh yeah. Right? You, yeah. You, 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 you blow out a knee and you're done. And so I'm very mindful of that. And, uh, it's That's great feedback because based on what you just said, I'm thinking differently about how I want to try to train that, that knee and those, you know, that, that meniscus and that, you know, that support, all that supporting tissue in that, in that knee and and in the ankle area as well, because, you know, there, the, the terrain is brutal in some, in some spots. And, uh, uh, I, I try to just try to be mindful of it. But that's where the, uh, the foam roller for knee, most time, if you don't have a knee injury, but you're having knee pain, a lot of times it's an imbalance of those muscles that control the knee. Uh, there's one, one on the outside of the thigh called the IT band. This is notorious mm-hmm. for causing knee problems. So we have people foam roll the foam roll those foam roll your calves, your quads while you're working out these all these leg workouts and body workouts because you know it will tighten up and you know put stress on that knee. So that will definitely that kind of thing is definitely what you want to do. Uh, to help prevent that kind of knee stuff. Do you do any, uh, do you do any work on, I've seen some, some different exercises with like the balance balls. Those are, you know, yeah, we don't do it at the office, but I, I go over with patients to do that at home. Uh, balance boards, uh, wobble boards. Uh, that is great exercise to increase that, uh, neurologic, uh, stability. So for instance, let's say you just stand on one leg. You, you know, you, you know, you're standing there, you raise, you raise your one leg up, raise your knee up to its, your upper thigh is parallel with the ground and just, you stand on one leg. You are actually standing there trying to keep your balance. That is the exercise. It's, it's, uh, your, your brain is communicating with the muscles of your leg to keep your balance. And it's, that's the workout. Uh, if you try to do that, if you, let's say I can stand on my leg for 20 or 30 seconds and I feel pretty stable. Well, now I need to up the game a little bit. You close your eyes. Then you're going to realize how much you're cheating with your eyes. And you're going to sit there and try to keep your balance. You're not going to be able to keep it for 10 seconds. So, but that's the exercise. You you keep your eyes closed, you know, have a chair next to you or a stool that you can have your hand close by if you start to fall. But if you raise one leg and stand, close your eyes and, and try to keep your balance, you're creating neurologically that stability in that leg and it's going to give you you know that's that, that little stuff's going to help when you're hiking on uneven grounds and then the other thing we did like i did here we have a little little uh i don't know if it's a county or state park mastodon state park that's sort of between steve and i it's got like a two mile loop that you can hike and it's pretty rocky and rugged and i would do you know, that maybe four miles of that two or three times a week with a really heavy weighted backpack, just so I, with my boots on, just so I could get used to, you know, that instability constantly. I try not to walk on flat ground. Uh, let's talk about that for a second. Cause I do a lot of rucking myself. Um, what would your recommendations be for somebody who maybe somebody is, is listening to us here for the, and the, you know, getting this idea for the first time and they want to, they want to dip their toe in that pond. What would your recommendation be for specifically the weight? 
what, what, what would you recommend as a starting weight for somebody who's maybe never done it at all? Oh, I'd say and, no weight first, right? You know, you just, right. get, just get the backpack on there. Get used to your body, you know, properly fitted backpack with, you know, you know, a jacket or something, water bottle in there. Do that a few times. All right, then let's crank it up. Uh, I say go right up to 25 pounds. You know, is one of those things where if you're, you know, if you're a 200 pound male, you know, throw 25 pounds in there. You know, if you think that's too heavy, you can lighten it a little bit. But uh, I would get like a 25 pound weight and I'd wrap it up in towels and I'd stuff it in the my backpack and uh, get it nice and snug, snug and stable. And I'd start doing that and work that up. And then, you know, I, I was going up to about 35 pounds when I did it. But, it's, you know, yeah. I, I would, if you're comfortable with doing it and you've had that backpack and you're, you're used to having that on and know what that feels like, then throw, throw that weight in there and push it, you know? Yeah. That, uh, so um, let's talk about that for a minute. You said something that really triggered a thought. You said a properly fitted backpack. <laughs> and, and, now, I mean, so I mean, that that's a big deal. Oh, it is. So let's it and and I I learned to appreciate that the hard way myself. Yep. Um, where so let's talk about when you when you have your backpack fitted and you do your ruck whether it's rucking or whether you're you know out there and and you have an animal down and now you're hiking quarters out. Uh, where should that weight be carried right. on the back? High, low, middle. What's that? What's the what's the right or what would be the recommended weight distribution? Well, that's what I love about these companies now with these backpacks. You know, they uh, they have the video show you how to put it on. You want the, you know, when you're hiking around, you want the majority of that weight on that backpack on your pelvis, not your shoulders. You know, you you want you want, and you gotta get that trying to get that weight to where you can pull it you know, on your hips and then, then the weight sort of comes up and sort of not on top of you, but not hanging off the back of you. You want it as close to that center of gravity as possible. And these new backpacks, they get it to where, you know, the whole belt part is on that pelvis and that's where you're carrying that weight. You know, you carry it on your shoulders. Oh man, it's going to be, you talk about traps, shoulders, headaches, neck pain. Good luck. You know, so that's why mm -hmm. these, these backpacks, I like now how they have the, where you put it on your pelvis, you snug everything up, and then they have the straps that you pull over your shoulders. And that brings that weight sort of up in on top of your spine, if you can imagine, you know, uh, that's really how, how you want it. You almost want it where it's, those straps are barely floating over your shoulder. Right. Yeah. Uh, again, you know, learning through experience, um, in, in North Dakota, one of my favorite hunts is the spot and stock mule deer. And, um, for, for those that are, are accustomed to the whitetail woods, uh, you know, I think it's, it's fairly customary, you know, when you, after you shoot a whitetail, a lot of guys will just, you know, they'll drag them out, you know, and you'll hear stories about dragging them long distance and stuff. I, I'm, I'm just going to tell you, if you've never hunted a mule deer or shot a mule deer, um, if you shoot a fully mature mule deer, you're, you're not, unless, unless you're hooking it onto a truck, you're not dragging that sucker far. Right. Uh, they're, they're pretty big. And, uh, so you're, you're relegated to, to quartering and packing them out unless you have, a a, a vehicle where you can get up close to where you've, 
where the animals come and gone down. But um, I, I learned that the hard way, but was blessed in the fact that the first time I did have to pack a muley out, I had a good, uh, fully adjustable pack that allowed me to adjust the weight and get it, get it centered. The other, the other tool that I do not go into the backcountry without are trekking poles. Trekking poles are an absolute game changer for weight distribution. And boy, does it save on your, on your legs. I was astounded at how just having those poles for stability gave my legs so much more relief in the, in the hike coming out. And, um, you know, uh, I would say the, well, the first mule deer that I ever shot with a bow, it was in the dead of winter. And I had about a half, it was a little over a half a mile pack back to my truck in about eight, eight inches of snow. And, uh, I, because I was younger and wanted to test myself, <laughs> I packed out, I packed out the entire thing oh. in one shot. Oh yeah. And, and I made it, everything was fine. It all worked out. Um, but I learned a lot of lessons in that, uh, being one, one, number one being don't ever do that again. <laughs> uh, but, um, that's, that's what really, you know, kind of solidified it in my mind, the, the importance of having a quality pack that's fully adjustable, that is properly fit. Uh, because those loads, if you do get an animal down in the back country, those loads are, it, it's, it's heavy. I mean, that, that pack, when I pulled that one muley out all in one, I, because I had, I hadn't fully, I didn't bone it all out. I had the bone in, it was bone in quarters. Uh, and plus I, I mounted it. So I had the, I had the cape and the antlers. I, I'm ballparking. That was probably a 130, yeah. about 130 pound pack. Yeah. And I'm, I'm for, for, for reference, I stand, I'm about six foot four and I, I tip the scale at about 220 pounds. Okay. I'm, I'm not petite. No. Um, and I had all I could handle getting that up out of there. Yeah. That, well, like you said too, with those trekking poles that give you some extra stability that what helps lessen the leg fatigue, which helps prevent injury. Right. Because uh, I know sometimes after, you know, been hiking in the mountain all day long, your legs are almost like jello. You're walking down the path. It's dark out. You're trying to just get off the mountain and get back to the camp. And it's almost like your noodles. So if you have anything kind of stability to help you with, you know, like you said, those trekking poles that that can, you know, save your knee from getting blown out. hundred percent. Yeah. Like I said, I don't, I don't go out in the back country without my, my trekking pole strapped on my pack because they've saved, they've saved me a number of times. Now I, uh, uh, this, this season when I shot, uh, I shot, uh, uh, my mule deer in Montana, it was a rifle hunt and I had, I had about a mile and a quarter pack out on that one. And I had to take them in two, I had to take them in two trips and I was running out of light. And, uh, so I, I needed to hustle a little bit. Trekking poles saved the day. Yep. Yeah. So doc, let's, let's, let me hit on something else here too. When, when somebody's out on these big trips, like you guys have been discussing here, um, what's your recommendations for, um, staying hydrated, and any forms of nutrition that's a good pick me up while you're not not don't have access to a good meal but just a good snack for you while you're out doing that 
uh, calories, 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 you know, calorie dense food is what you want. I'm sure Joe probably has more experience with this than I would. Uh, we always, you know, any kind of nuts, you know, we, the water we brought what we could, you know, but you try to stay as hydrated once you get back to camp as much as possible. Sometimes we are limited during the day, you know, uh, brought our little bot our bottle with it. I forget how many liters it held if it was, I'd have to look at it. Uh, but yeah, we, I just try to do, do dense calorie foods is what I did. Yeah. It's, uh, it's same. Um, and sodium too. I was, I'm mindful of, uh, I, for me, it's, uh, I, I focus on a, a couple different areas. So I use a platypus bladder in my, in my pack. And I usually carry about two liters on me, give or take, depending on what my hunt is for that day. If I'm a lot of days I'll go into the field from camp in the morning with the intent that I'm not coming back to camp until nightfall. And if I know I'm going to be out there for the full day, my day packs a little heavier because I, I focus on absolutely calories, protein and sodium. And so like jerky, I like, I, I, I almost always carry jerky in my pack because it gives me protein and sodium both. Um, I also, uh, am mindful of my, the, I use the hydrated meals, you know, I carry a, I'll carry my uh, jet boil and I'll have a bottle of water so I can make a meal while I'm out there. But I look, uh, to, to doc's point, right. Calorie, a calorie rich. Um, I, I've generally, uh, enjoyed the, the peak refuel brand. I know there's a, a lot of different options out there. Um, but the, the peak refuels are pretty high quality and very calorie dense. Um, so, um, and then, of course, you know, nuts, you know, a, a trail mix. I, uh, it's not uncommon. I'll put, you know, a little sandwich bag full of trail mix in my pack uh, to get those. Uh, but, yeah, it's it's important if you're especially if you're going to be away from camp for a full day and not not coming back for, you know, maybe a, a, a bigger meal. Well, you're going to burn so many calories out there, you know, so that's why you just got to. You got to eat, you know, it's not one of those things you want to put off. So we've talked a whole, a whole lot about trying to prevent injuries. Um, let's, let's talk some about what's the best methods to use for once you have an injury, because no matter how much we try to prevent there, they, they will happen, uh, whether it's your fault or not your fault. But can you touch on, uh, different aspects of treatment for somebody that they may want to consider, whether it be you just fell off of a ledge and hurt yourself or whatever, or uh, situation where just a ongoing pounding of the, your legs or whatever, going up down hillsides, it's caused injury over time. You know, if, if it's an acute injury, you got to treat that and you, you know, you, you're pretty much hunts done. You know, if you have a bad injury like that, you look at the uh, rest, ice, compression, elevation, you know, kept things. So if, if those kind of acute injuries, we just want to get the inflammation down and, you know, and give it rest. So that that's that whatever situation you're in, like, let's say uh, uh, I'm shooting my bow and I haven't shot it in a few months. I get up and I, I'm like excited and I just do way too much today and I shoot it. Well, I'm going to get some inflammation in that joint. I did too much too soon. I need to probably rest it, ice it, get those muscles loosened up and get that inflammation down. Once the inflammation's down, whether it take, you know, three to five days, 
then I need to look at, okay, hey, uh, I was an idiot. I did too much too soon. Let me look at easing into this and get my strength back in there and start doing some rehab to strengthen it. Uh, that's more the, you know, your acute treatment, you, you know, you, you got to get the inflammation down to get it feeling better. Uh, if we look at more, what I see more in patients is more repetitive trauma. It's more chronic issues. People that uh, our bodies are amazing. They will adapt, adapt, adapt. And we don't know we're doing that injury. And all of a sudden one day, I, man, my shoulder's hurting or my, my knee's hurting. Well, I've been hurting it for the last two years. It's just been a you know awesome design to where it was compensating. And now I start to have a symptom of it. So a lot of people think, oh, I just heard it. No, the damage is done. So now we're looking at uh, muscles that are, you know, uh, you know, just fatigued and atrophied and hypertonic. And then that's when we have to look into more of a regimen to treat that kind of thing where you need some rest. Then you need some, you know, uh, treatments to get that muscle inflammation, deep inflammation down. If you have tendonitis or tendinosis, treating that. And this is something that usually will take, you know, not days, but weeks. And then once we get that better, then, okay, what do I need to do to prevent that from happening? And then that's when you would go into the strengthening and conditioning part of it. But usually it's more the, you know, treat the inflammation, the acute, if it's a chronic, you know, working with it, foam rolling it. Uh, getting the muscle adhesions broken up, getting it to a point to where you could start to strengthen it and rehab it. So basically, uh, don't ignore healthcare. <laughs> you know, I always say, <clears throat> if you only brush your teeth when they hurt, you wouldn't have any teeth. Right. So your body is the same way, right? So you, you got to treat it even if it's not hurting. You got to, you got to, you know, give it the love and attention that it needs. Well, I find it amazing too, just talking to people, how many people don't ever see a chiropractor. Yeah. And, yeah. and I remember you telling me the story about when your kids were born, that the first thing you did is, is give these new babies an adjustment. Right. Yep. It's, you know, it's, and it's not the adjustment that people think like uh, I would give an adult. There's techniques for infants and children, different techniques, but, but that's how important know, it is to have everything aligned and functioning yeah. properly. Yep. You know, it's just one of those things that a body that's functioning better is going to be a healthier body. So Overall, for, for the people that, that don't want to, or haven't ever gone to a chiropractor, touch on that part for a minute here about how your body has to align for the nerves and everything else to work properly. And you know where I'm going here. Yeah. You know, uh, the nervous system communication to the body starts in the brain, goes down the spinal cord and goes out all the nerves to every part of the body, whether it's you lifting your arm or your lungs absorbing oxygen, it's all controlled through the nervous system. So with chiropractic, what we do is we treat that area that houses that nervous system, the spine. And if there's any restrictions in the range of motion in the spine, uh, we get inflammation. We get uh, communication with the body that it's not functioning properly. Uh, and when we get adjusted, we restore, we restore the norm, normal, you know, uh, function of that joint. So it has free mobility. Uh, there's no uh, 
stretching or irritating of the nerves. And then we have better communication of the body. So it's just, it's a body that's just a well-oiled machine that functions better. You know, we're still going to have environmental factors. We're still going to have uh, hereditary issues and stuff like this, but this limits the other chances of injuries and problems. So question for you, are you a cold plunger or no? I tried it. <laughs> that was good enough for me. I was just, just like, one, you know, one and done. Oh, it just, you know, I figured if there's any benefit from it, I'm just going to do without that benefit because it was just, it was, I was just, you know, I, I, I read up on it. I looked into it. I actually have a doctor that works for me and he does it every morning. Uh, he's younger <laughs> and he's got the nerves for it, but I, I just, I just couldn't do it. I remember I had to do it in football in high school, and I think I had flashbacks to that. And PTSD. I just, it was not, <laughs> yes, let's let's call it that. Oh my goodness, I was done. Well, I don't know. I I've been listening. I haven't I haven't done it myself. I mean, I do. I've done cold showers, uh, and you know, kind of they they said you know you can kind of condition yourself into it. Start with cold showers, and then work into you know uh, different temperatures of, of water. You know, you can increase it, but. Um, the more I, the more I read about it or listen to uh, people talk about it, they, there seems to be a pretty big common, there's a common uh, theme that they say, you know, once you, once you get yourself accustomed to it, it'll become your new drug of choice. Uh, That's right here. Yeah. So, okay. Well, interesting. So what are the main benefits of it? What's that? I mean, I've heard people talking about it, but I just, I just thought it was kind of a fad thing. Oh, look what I did. But what's, what's the real health benefit from it? Well, if immune response uh, helps regulate hormone, I've heard. I've read hormone regulation, uh, sleep patterns. You know, there's a lot of claims to different things that it's going to benefit. Yeah, this healing, you know. Yeah, um, I have a, ne my next door neighbor has gotten into it. He actually, he uh, bought a little conversion kit and he had an old deep freezer that he converted into a cold plunge. And it's got a pump and a filtration system and everything, you know, but, um, yeah, they, they say that often you, once you get out of the water, that you get this giddy, almost a feeling of euphoria because you just get that, um, uh, yeah, I'm excited. I got out of the cold. Water. Yeah. Well, it's right. It's, uh, the, uh, What's the word I'm looking for? It's not, it's not the adrenaline. It's the dopamine. You get a, you get a big the dopamine, dopamine dump. And uh, they say that it, it uh, helps increase t testosterone levels for men. Um, there's, there's a number of different benefits that they're, that they're talking about. So I'm, I'm intrigued by it. I'm intrigued by it for the anti-inflammatory aspect of just the cold. Yeah. Uh, you know, as I get older, uh, especially in the summer months when I'm running more, when I, when I do more of the running and I can, you know, I, I feel it in the joints a little bit more than I used to, but I'm intrigued to, I want to give it a try. Um, I've also heard you hear, you hear schools of thought about colder is better, but, uh, from what I've read and listened to recently, they, that doesn't sound like there's any conclusive scientific evidence that going colder with the water is necessarily better. So 45 degrees versus 35 degrees. Um, I think I've heard that also. Um, any, any benefits would be um, immaterial or, or marginal. Yeah. 
but now you were mentioned about the inflammation helping the inflammation uh what is crucial with that is nutrition you know i tell people you know n- you know no white flour no white sugar no processed foods uh if you eliminate processed foods white sugar white flour uh you know you're eating a whole foods diet not just all protein not just all this or all that, but like a whole foods, fruits, vegetables, lean meats, nuts, you know, grains, that kind of thing. Your you, the inflammation in your body is going to drop in significant, you know, significantly. It's going to reduce, and you're going to feel a lot better in all your joints everywhere if you reduce that inflammation diet. Because most people's nutrition is just, you know, it's crap. You know, you don't have to be eat perfect all the time, but if you look, you know, what most people are eating is you know processed foods. And that's just going to keep the inflammation, you know, levels high in the body. All right. Well, you got anything else you want to touch on? You feel is important for us to uh, know and understand? Like I said, I'd like, like to do this uh, in the future. We'll do it with a video and yeah. kind of have a good uh, visual of what's going on as well. No, I think just, you know, working out, getting active and doing, you know, get out there and start doing stuff. It's just one of those things that's going to be help, help that body stay younger. Be proactive and be preventative, right? Don't wait until yep. the injuries come. Right. Yep. Right. For sure. Yeah, I realize this is a, it's not a sprint, right? It's a marathon. And if I want to go do this stuff, I got to prepare the machine to do it. 100%. So. All right. Well, Dr. Pappas, we really appreciate you taking some time and uh, coming on here and chatting with us and, we're going to bring you back on, though, because we still have other things to talk about. We didn't talk about your turkey hunt yet. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the uh, most buck fever I've ever had was turkey hunting, which is odd to say, but, you know, that's why we do this. Yeah, 100%. So we'll have some more questions pop up, I'm sure, for you. We'll bring you back on. We'll do this again. So I really appreciate you taking your time and being here with us. And Yeah, thank you. Yep, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it. All righty, guys. We'll do it so, again. So we're going to wrap this one up then. And if anybody has any questions or anything, feel free to reach out. Email us at wildarrowod at gmail.com. Wildarrowod, as in outdoors, at gmail.com. Let us know if you've got any questions or anything else you want to hear. Uh, if you have any questions for Dr. Pappas, let us know. And we'll reach out to him and get him back on here again. So with that being said, we will talk to you later. Have a great day. Thanks, guys.